That's a growler. Welcome back to Beauty and the Beastly Minute, the podcast where we break down and analyze Beauty and the Beast, one self-sacrificing minute at a time. I'm Bobby from Growler Media. And I'm Carrie, Bobby's wife. <laughs> what? What are you doing here? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so in case y'all haven't noticed, Janae's been pretty busy lately. She's got like a bunch of jobs and stuff and moved out into the country in the middle of nowhere where her internet is limited. So she is going to be taking a break and we'll probably have her back on hopefully in the podcast later on. But for now, my new co-host is going to be Carrie. Hello. Yay. <laughs> you might recognize her dulcet tones from the LDS dating podcast or when she guested here a few episodes ago or have you been on anything else? Mm, I don't think so. I've guested on this one two or three times. Yeah, she's been out here. She uh, did the West Wing episodes, which I believe I've only released one of those. We got to put the other one out here soon. They were good. Yeah, they were long. They weren't as long as some of our normal episodes. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good, I guess. <laughs> we were worried about them being too long. So anyway, here we are. And like I said, Carrie's going to be taking over for Janae for a while. And we'll see how that goes. It should be fun. And uh, today we are going to be talking about Minute 64 of Beauty and the Beast, which starts off with Belle saying, oh no, he's sick, and ends with Cogsworth saying, I knew you had it in you, uh-huh. I love Cogsworth. Ah, see, just like Janae is here. What? <laughs> <laughs> Does she love Cogsworth? Yeah, that's why her little, her image icon avatar thing on our podcast thing. Does that mean Lumiere's your favorite too? Yeah, he's, he's pretty legit. But anyway, jumping into the minute, what are we talking about this minute? You just said the summary of the minute. Yeah, I did. So my first note for this minute is that I feel like Belle is just stating the facts of what she's seeing. That Maurice is sick and alone and maybe dying. But like I've always kind of felt that she is in a way like presenting her case for leaving. Like he's sick and alone and maybe dying. Is it maybe dying or may be dying? But anyway, she doesn't really mention like, oh, and these are the reasons that I'm going to leave. But that's always kind of how I felt like it was. Maybe that's just because I'm so used to seeing it. But I mean, she's really just saying, hey, look, he's sick and he's alone and he may be dying. Yeah, I'd say if I were in Belle's shoes, I would be just voicing, like narrating what I see happening. And her tone is just worried and maybe even kind of asking, what do I do about this? Because he just fixed her other problem of wanting to see her father. So, you know, follow up, fix this one. He just has to fix everything. Yeah. Well, hmm. He might be able to do something. She doesn't know. He might have some other magic that could snap him there in a heartbeat or something. That's true. He is always showing her new magical things and all the people are magical. He does turn straight to the rose. Maybe she thinks it's going to transport her father. Pluck a petal, blow a wish. Oh, it could be like in Coco. Use the, the flower petal <laughs> and send her to her father. That kind of magic exists in the movie world. <laughs> So she could be anticipating him doing something about it. She's just telling him what she's worried about. They're best friends, so that's totally normal. I guess so. 
I guess so. The way he turns to the rose, like, right away, I kind of get the feeling like he spends a lot of time looking at that rose. That's his immediate reaction. And I don't know if that's him already making the decision, like, okay, I'm going to give up on breaking the curse and give in to the death of the rose type thing. Or if that's just, like, when I need to think about things, I go look at my rose. Yeah, that's how I imagine it. Like, whenever he's reminded about the curse or he has, it's like his alone place. Because it's the place he's been depressed all by himself all the time watching this rose. So if he needs to think, why not go to his usual spot? I love his gaze upward. He's looking up into the heavens as if he's trying to think what's the right thing to do here. And of course, from the LDS world, I'm thinking CTR beast. Choose the right. And he does. Doesn't look happy about it, though. He's definitely making an agonized decision here. We've begun to get a lot of emotion coming from his face and his body language is just like, Ugh, okay, I don't want to do it, but I'll do it. Yeah, he's weighing how it affects himself. Everyone in his castle, Maurice. Yeah, and in second 12, we get his moment of decision. And that's kind of the, the anguished look whenever he's basically giving up on his chance of breaking the curse. You know, because he loves Belle, he's going to let her go, which is kind of weird. He's like, okay, then, you know, I release you or whatever he says. You're no longer my prisoner. And it's kind of weird that he still considers her a prisoner because they've had this growing relationship and this time together and their relationship to each other and understanding of each other has changed. And they've had all this romance and this romantic evening. And then he's kind of like, oh, I guess I'll release you from being held here forcibly, you know, because your dad's dying or whatever. But, you know, if he wasn't, then I probably wouldn't. It's just kind of weird. I I always kind of thought of it as him clarifying because the first thing he says is, then you must go to him. And she says, what did you say? So he's clarifying because he thinks she might think of herself still as a prisoner. Like he was just saying, oh, then go to him. But then she says, what? So he says, you're no longer my prisoner. I release. I always thought he was clarifying it to her because she might consider herself a prisoner. Hmm. Either way, it, 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 hmm. it's one of those miscommunication, misunderstandings things where he thought they were having moments, but maybe not so much. Maybe she's just making the best out of her imprisonment. She's just playing him. He's the only guy around, so she's getting <laughs> flirty. He doesn't know. This is the only woman he's ever met. He doesn't know what kinds of tricks we play. I guess it's a it's a moment that has to happen because she has to have the freedom to choose to come back so that it's her choice. He, if he sent her and was like, go get your dad and bring him back, then it wouldn't be her choosing to come back for love. So I guess that's why we need that clarifying moment. But it just seems weird that they would have progressed so much in their romantic and friendship relationship status and yet not have gotten to the point where she's like hey so are you gonna keep me here forever like am i really your prisoner even though we're chummy pals now i guess i've never really thought of it that way so (laughs) (laughs) i see your point though they are both obviously attached so why are they still thinking of it in that context yeah and she did leave on her own once before and she's chosen to stay since then that's true she did already come back yeah I guess you could argue, though, that that's her keeping her word and that she said she was going to stay. And so she decided to to keep her word and stay even if she didn't want to. Whereas in this case, he said she could go. I'm seeing your point more and more as I'm thinking about it. Like, why why are they both seeing 
her as a prisoner still at this point because she's already left once on her own accord so she's not really prisoned there yeah and that that's probably why i'm thinking it's so weird because that you know, we talked about it in those minutes after after the wolf fight. That was her moment of decision where she said, okay, I'm going to stay here. And so I guess in my mind, that's when it, she stopped being a prisoner was when she decided to stay. And yeah. she saved the beast and brought him back and nursed him back to health and all that. They were chummy ever since then, pretty much. So. Yeah. Hmm. It's a weirdness, but I guess you do eventually have to have that define the relationship. <laughs> moment this is where they finally say okay prison agreement over yeah so i have here written down you mean i'm free yes thank you but i don't know why i wrote it down maybe you didn't like how simple the dialogue is yeah yeah (laughs) she's just like thank you you mean i'm free that makes sense yes you're free okay that makes sense and she's like thank you and then she just like turns away and just goes and she's like thank you and then that's like essentially the last thing she says to beast what do you want her to say well like if she hadn't gone back to give him the mirror she could be like thank you i'll be back later i'm gonna help my dad and then i'll see you around i mean it it feels a lot like in this minute that she's leaving and she's never coming back and you know he gives her the mirror and he's like so you can always remember me and obviously he's expecting that she's not going to come back we don't know if she's thinking she's going to come back or not but all she says is thank you she doesn't say thank you bye i'll see you later that would just make it sound so informal well you know something <laughs> I, I think she would have turned again like as she got to the door and said that that same line that she ends up saying later about uh, thank you for understanding how much he needs me she would have added on to it it would have been that last glance back from the door kind of a thing i still feel like she could have said something more yeah but you want her to say see you later or bye i mean it has not to be those so- <laughs> exact words but just something to that effect of okay goodbye i'm i'm leaving now not just like thanks gone well uh, maybe it's because they don't really know what the next step for them is gonna be they don't know if she's gonna come back they don't know if maurice is gonna die and she's gonna be in mourning forever i mean they're just consumed with the matter at hand that she's leaving that's what he's worried about and she's worried about her father so yeah yeah i guess she is kind of preoccupied at the moment yeah That's why her next comment was directed towards the mirror slash her father to hold on, Papa. I'm coming. I'm on my way. And I guess, I mean, she, when she goes and helps Maurice, she's not wearing that dress. So it's possible that she said thank you and then like went and changed and packed and stuff and saw Beast again before she left. Uh, I guess it's possible, but I don't think so. It seems like he stays in his room to sulk and she's not gonna... Mm, That's true. She's not gonna lengthen out their parting. They had a nice evening and she's just gonna leave it with a pleasant thank you. Yeah, but she comes back with the mirror and he's like, yeah, keep it so you can always look back and remember. And as a kid, and I guess still, it confused me, like, why couldn't she go help Maurice and then come back or why doesn't she just go get maurice and bring him to the castle that she now likes being at and was only missing him and so they could just live there and he could be you know weird inventor guy there well this is where i was thinking about this because i saw your question on the notes and i thought you know 
they don't know when she's going to come back. She probably wants to nurse Maurice back to health at home just because that's where he's going to be most comfortable. His last experience at the castle was not pleasant. So she's thinking, I'll take him home. Who knows how long it's going to take to get him better. And the beast is thinking she may or may not even come back. Mm -hmm. They both accept it as, okay, if she can't come back, she has a way to look back on him with the mirror. Yeah. And also, he knows this castle is hard to find. I mean, Maurice has been looking for however long and not been able to find it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if Beast ever even was disclosed the information of how Belle found it with Philippe knowing where it was. But maybe he's thinking, use this mirror as a compass to get back to the castle. Kind of like Gaston does later. So it could be her route back. Look back to remember him or look back to find him. How does Gaston find it? Maurice was looking for it forever. Gaston marches right up to it. I think he uses the mirror because Belle says, show me the beast and it just stays glowing green the whole time that they're coming back to the castle. But we can talk about that part later. That's true. Don't want to jump ahead. <laughs> but speaking of this mirror, because it is right here. Um, in the previous minute, you kind of touched on how the mirror is glowing green and you and Janae were talking about how that's creepy and you said like, it's the Disney villain color, you know? I was thinking maybe this green mirror is actually evil. Like maybe the mirror itself is the villainous part of this curse. The rose is keeping them all, you know, magically enchanted and it's kind of their ticking time bomb. So, but at least it's nice and pretty. This mirror only causes trouble. I mean, the first time we see it, do anything it's showing the beast bell when she's angrily saying you know i don't want anything to do with him which makes beast lose hope mm -hmm. so that's a villain thing right there causing trouble and then right now it's showing maurice being sick but it kind of saves maurice well yeah but as far as like for the purpose of the curse being broken it's evil because it's parting bell from beast Ooh. In a little while, it shows the beast roaring and makes the whole townsfolk think he's awful, which makes them all come after him. So I was just thinking, like, why would the enchantress leave an evil mirror? What's the point of that? Because, I mean, we're pretty sure the curse, like, wants to be broken. That's why it brought Belle in and has tried to do these little things to help things along. And like, there's a way to break the curse. So it's not just this evil curse. So I don't feel like the curse itself is evil. It's the, the tough love teacher trying to show him how to, to care for others. So I was like, well, why would there be this evil mirror? Why would you leave that? And maybe she left that kind of as i guess a temptation or something that if he's focused on himself you know mm -hmm. she's like you're supposed to learn how to love other people and focus on other people and not be so selfish that's why he was cursed and yet she leaves this mirror that if he focuses on the mirror which is reflecting himself you know that's what a mirror does but this one's magic so it can show him other stuff mm -hmm. but if he's always looking at that then it throws him off course from what he's supposed to be doing i like it so it might not necessarily be evil, but it's like representing his old bad self, his selfish self. Yeah, which he gives away. Dun, dun, dun. Mm, I made you think about it. Let me think about it. <laughs> but you do have a good point that it kind of ends up helping at the same time. So maybe the point of the mirror is because the enchantress knows that Love is stronger if it has some kind of, uh, what do you call it, opposition, like antagonist. 
And Gaston isn't present like the whole time, pretty much. So Beast is the his own uh, obstacle, I guess, at the beginning. But there are certain moments where the mirror has to present an obstacle for this love story to have issues to resolve and to strengthen their relationship. Hmm. So the Enchantress could have just known how love works like that. Needs some opposition. Because the Beast does kind of humble himself when he sees Belle that first time in the mirror saying that she's she can't have anything to do with him. Yeah. That's the first time we see him soften. Hmm. Tricky mirror. It's a pretty important mirror playing some important roles here. Yeah. Also part of uh, this minute with the mirror, it bugs me that it keeps like, it glows and then it stops glowing, then it starts glowing again, then it stops glowing. Like, why? What's... I get that it stops glowing after she sees her dad. She sees her dad in it at the very beginning and then it stops glowing right there. So she says, he's all alone, it stops glowing. And then we see the beast with his rose and says he she can go. And then it's glowing again when we look back at her. It keeps glowing for a while. I think it stops glowing after she tries, she goes to give it back to the beast. And then does it glow again? No, but that's it. That always bugged me. Like, why, why is it like reactivate after he says she can go? Is it listening? Hmm. It's always listening. It's like Google. I don't know. That bothers me that it, it's going off and on like it does. Well, in all likeliness, it's just uh, some inconsistency in the animation. But maybe it glows when it's getting what it wants. Hmm. So it stops glowing when she tries to give it back. And then it starts glowing again when he says she can keep it. Okay. <laughs> Another thing that bothers me is this rose. Why have they never talked about it again? Is that just Belle respecting Beast's wishes to, you know, leave it alone? She's leaving it alone physically and in conversation? Because she's a curious person and it's right there wilting. Why, why hasn't she asked about the rose again now that their relationship is so strong? Like in the past week. How come she didn't ask? What's, what's the deal with that rose? Why can't I touch it? Why is it glowing? Well, she doesn't have any indication that there's any importance to it besides that it might just be his pet rose, pet magic rose sitting in a jar. But also maybe they have. Maybe she asked about it and he told her and she knows. I mean, there's nothing she can really do with it. So it's just there. He could be like, hey, this rose when it fades out. And I mean, the next time she sees it, he's pretty much dead. So she's probably not paying too much attention to it. Yeah, that's another thing. There's a lot of petals still on that rose for it to have lost all of its petals like two or three hours from now. These last half a dozen petals fall off really fast. Yeah, petals fall fast. Well, this one's lasted 21 years, so I thought the rate would be a little steadier. So my next note is that, what do I have here? Oh, okay, so this is back to the mirror. I was thinking, like, why does she need a way to look back and remember? Like, why can't she just come back? And I was thinking, well, maybe... The beast knows that once she leaves, like she's not going to be back in time. Even if she's planning on coming back, she won't be back in time to break the curse. So he loses hope that, you know, the curse isn't going to be broken. Essentially, he's letting her go. This is like the final hours and there's no way she's going to get back in time because she's got to go take care of her dad. So even if she comes back in like a week, he's stuck as a beast forever. So he's giving up his hope of ever being human again. And she still doesn't even, I mean, theoretically know that he's a man. She's pretty sure there's some enchantment going on, but she doesn't know that he's a person. He's the beast. Yeah. 
yeah, and I already talked about the other part, like why wouldn't she just bring Maurice back with her? So there's some some unanswered questions, but I guess it could all be answered in the fact that they're not really thinking through this whole situation because she's like, ah, he's dying. I got to go right now. Yeah, and he's just giving her a pardon gift kind of deal. Yeah, so he understands like, okay, she's got to go. I'm going to let her go. I'm going to be a beast forever. She's probably never coming back. And if she does, I'm going to be a beast forever. And maybe she won't be able to find her way. And she's just like, ah, my dad, I got to go. Yeah. And then he does that weird ponytail grab thing. Okay, I don't know why you think that's weird. It's weird. I think that's a romantic little endearing touch going on. They both have these sweet little soft lovey-dovey touches before they part ways. I see that it's supposed to be romantic and stuff, but when you think about like actually doing that to somebody, like you like reach over you. I don't know. Just seems kind of weird. Well, it hurts when you do (laughs) (laughs) He just tried it out on me for those who cannot see, which is everyone. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, this is going to sound weird, but (laughs) back when I was a teenager and trying to figure out dating and kissing and stuff, I actually looked up an article about how to know when you can kiss someone (laughs) And I found this one that was supposed to be for guys, but it said, like, if a girl lets you touch her hair, that's a sign that she'll she'll let you kiss her. Hmm. And that's always stuck with me, especially when I watch this, because I'm like, oh, she's letting him touch her hair. She would totally let him kiss her. Hmm. I mean, maybe not that giant tooth sticking out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> His underbite. There's a reason they never kiss when he's a beast. <laughs> <laughs> he's got one big lip and two fangs. <laughs> but I like that he's touching her hair. I think it's romantic. It's it's an intimate moment. It's just kind of weird when he first starts doing it. I think once the angle moves around to the front and like he, you see her in front and we're you know looking from behind beast it doesn't look as weird but i don't know see i think it bothers me once it goes to the front because all of her hair was already past her shoulder (laughs) and then we go to the front and it's in front and then after we go back behind her again all of her hair is behind her again so (laughs) that inconsistency going on with her hair positioning bothers me but i like I like the endearment itself. And then she turns back and touches his cheek. And he looks at her and he's about to touch her again. She's gone. She runs away. And then Cogsworth, was he just like doing this weird servant thing and chilling out at the door the whole time? Or did he just like happen to be coming in at this moment? I feel like he couldn't have been sitting at the door because otherwise he would have heard everything that just happened. Yeah. Well, I mean, everything that just happened happened in what a minute or less so maybe he was just following at a leisurely distance to give them some alone time mm. and it, it is beast's bedchamber yeah gotta have a chaperone yeah so he, mm. he followed them up to make sure things were staying ballroom dress appropriate nah, i don't know i think he he wasn't just standing there i'm pretty yeah. sure of that i bet he just followed behind he gave them a minute space so he just now showed up and he probably stopped at the door and saw them having their cute little endearing touches and that's why his face is all dreamy looking when <laughs> when we first see him standing there he's so excited for them and then he finds out what their conversation was about not yet 
I do like the door as he's coming in. It's got all the nicks and scratches because it's Beast's door and he totally ripped it up, man. It's in the details. But yeah, he comes in and says something about it going just swimmingly. Those scratches don't look like they're from the Beast. Well, they're not not from the Beast. Not. Well, they're probably from him throwing stuff around. Yeah. But they're not like claw marks. Yeah, they're not necessarily beast marks, but they're from his messy life. Yeah, throwing around deer antlers, something. <laughs> they're probably from his <laughs> from his meals, kicking and thrashing to get away. Ugh. As he devours them. I'm pretty sure he killed them before he dragged them up to the balcony. Look, there's a blood stain on the carpet right there next to the door. Uh-uh. <laughs> it's not a blood stain. So I looked up swimmingly because I wondered about that. I mean, obviously, it's like things are going well. They're going smoothly. Um, But I was like, was that a word back then? And it was. It's an old word. And yeah, not much to say about that, actually. I didn't even think about that if that word was around back then. Yeah, it wasn't like super popular, but it was around. Yeah, they had swimming. Swimming's always been a thing, right? Mm -hmm. I like that word. We should use swimmingly more often. Well, this episode has gone just swimmingly. That's all I got. I think we covered all the stuff I have on here. I guess I should just mention my Cogsworth note. I wrote that I love his face. I I couldn't figure out how you describe his face as he's saying, I knew you had it in you. (laughs) Like, is it a playful face? Is it more like a teasing face? Don't know how to describe this face. It almost looks villainous. <laughs> yeah, I had this kind of a mischievous face. I knew you had it in you, and he's wagging his finger. Maybe he does think they were up there making out. I don't think he thinks that. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of kind of like a, like, haha, I found out your secret. Like, you thought you couldn't do it, but I knew you could do it. Mm. Can't hide it from me. I see what's going on here. Well, I love his face. I mean, he makes a few little faces while he's saying this one sentence. So it's like, all of these little faces are so funny. Yeah. He's so pleased with things going swimmingly. He's got a lot of uh, Alice in Wonderland in his expressions here. You can see some of the... Ooh, I don't remember all the characters in there. But I feel like some of the faces are very familiar from some of the characters. And then a few moments when he's definitely got the Cheshire cat grin that he puts on every once in a while. Mm-hmm. He reminds me of the the little king of hearts in Alice in Wonderland. Mm, good deal. All righty. Well, I believe that wraps up minute 64 of Beauty and the Beast. Thank you guys for hanging out with us for sharing this minute and listening be sure to check us out we are on the growler media website you can go there and you can find all the old episodes if you haven't listened to them if this is your first one be sure to subscribe on whatever you're listening on especially if it is on your phone your podcast player subscribe you'll get all the episodes as they come out and uh grab your grab your friend's phone grab your family's phone subscribe them to the podcast as well because of course they want to listen to it you can find us also if you want to talk to us let us know what you think we're on all the social medias instagram facebook twitter just search beastly minute and you will find us there also go to our facebook group you can find it on facebook by searching beauty and the beastly minute listeners library join there we have to approve you to make sure you're not a robot and trying to spam everything but we post videos and articles and behind the scenes stuff and pictures from the minutes on that group as the minutes come out. So be sure to head over there and we have uh, some good stuff there for you guys. So go join the group, talk to us on social medias, find us however you find us. If you go to the Growler Media website bios page, you will find links to my social media stuff if you want to check out myself. You will also find Carrie. Yay! Yay! I have a bio page? Yeah. Oh. Check it out. So yeah, 
check us out on the Growler Media website. Carrie, is there anywhere that uh, people can get a hold of you if they want to talk to you about Beauty and the Beast or relationships or whatever? You can find me as Carrie Lynn Flores on Facebook. Woo! And thank you to Duo Hansen, who does our music. Megan the Cartoonist does our podcast artwork. Be sure to check her out on Facebook. Just search Megan the Cartoonist. If you want to check out more Movies by Minutes podcasts, you can find them at moviesbyminutes.com. All the great movies that you want to learn about, there's probably a podcast about them on that website. But until next time, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Share it with your friends. Have it download on your phone. Take it with you so you'll always have a way to look back and remember us. Especially Janae. We let her go. We had to because we love her. I read that. <laughs> I was like, I don't remember this at all. Uh, when I saw your your closing, I, I thought we had to add something about Janae. And it fits so well, because you let her go, just like the beast. Because <laughs> she had to go. She has other things that are important. Life. Belle, Janae, they are the same. <laughs> She's Cogsworth. We already went over this. <laughs> okay, I'll be Belle. Let me go. Janae <laughs> <laughs> uh, wanted to leave. Okay, so are you going to keep me here forever? Like, am I really your prisoner, even though we're chummy pals now? I'll be back later. I'm going to help my dad, and then I'll see you around. I mean, it, it feels a lot like in this minute that she's leaving and she's never coming back. You're no longer my prisoner. Okay, prison agreement over. <laughs> never more, never more. What's, what's the deal with that rose? Why can't I touch it? That's just like when I need to think about things, I go look at my rose. It's always listening. It's like Google. I'm going to be a beast forever. He's got one big lip and two fangs. I can check it out Cutting this part out. Wouldn't it be easier to cut it if it's silence? Not gonna give people my personal email or Facebook. That'd be weird. Well, it's on the bio page. <laughs> what? <laughs> Nuh uh. <laughs> That's my personal stuff? What? I mean, you have to approve them as friends for them to see stuff unless you post it publicly. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right then. <laughs> I'm keeping your bones.